Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. The Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Joshua. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Joshua chapter 6 and follow along while I read. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going around it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. The armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and they returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted, 
a great shout, and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside of the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Here we have a very dramatic story of Joshua and Israel marching around uh, the city of Jericho. You can imagine the tension that was building inside the city as the inhabitants of the city, as the uh, guards of that city are watching the fighting men of Israel just do a slow march around the city. They're not attacking. uh, The people inside are probably wondering when and if they will and what's going on. Why this strange behavior? This isn't a a tactic that they would typically see prior to a battle. So they're trying to understand what's going on. And I'm sure that fear and anxiety levels are rising within, within the city of Jericho. And then the people of Israel may be wondering why God has them doing this thing. Why is it Why does it look like this? What's the effectiveness uh, of just walking around the city? Then as we read this story, I think sometimes we get a little sidetracked by uh, the end of the story where everything is killed. All of the animals and children and women and warriors, every living thing is killed. And we wonder how that fits in with a loving God and how all those things go together. I want to set that aside for a moment, if we can. Uh, I know that that is a a serious uh, dilemma for some of us to try to work through and understand uh, exactly why God chose to do it that way. But I think if we get bogged down in that, we miss the bigger points that the, the author of this story, the person telling the story, is trying to get across to us. Uh, so uh, I think what we see first and foremost here is that uh, God is looking for a people who see the battle in front of them through the eyes of faith. See, when the Lord speaks to Joshua, he says, look and see, I have given you Jericho. Now, if I'm Joshua, I probably do a double take. I probably look at the walls that are still standing and the warriors on top of those walls and the guards at the gate and look back and go, God, what are you talking about? You've not given it to us yet. What do we need to do to to get there? But the eyes of faith see the walls destroyed while they're still standing. God says, I've given you the city. And Joshua says, okay, then what do we do next? 
That is the attitude that more of us need in our spiritual lives as we deal with the different battles and struggles that we find in our lives, whether they're with people or circumstances or their internal conflicts, we need to see that God has offered us victory. In Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Do we see that the battle has already been won and that we're responding to God because of that? See, the eyes of faith see that those battles have already been fought and already been won. When Jesus died on the cross, he did it one time for all time because the victory is over. He gave us a a victory over all the things that would destroy us, especially death. There's nothing for us to fear because that battle has already been fought. We've been promised that it's been handed to us. A rich and full life here that prepares us for eternal life with God. That is the promise. Do we fight our battles based on that knowledge or we keep looking at the walls, the, the struggles, and go, oh, it's too much. I'm overwhelmed. The eyes of faith see the walls destroyed while they're still standing. And, and so in this chapter, we learn from Joshua and Israel what faith sees, how faith looks at a battle that has already been won, but looks like the obstacles are still in the way. Faith sees a few things, and I will mention three from this chapter. First of all, faith sees that we fight from victory, not for victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. What do I mean by that? When we are fighting a battle in our lives, when, when if it's a battle with Satan, if it's a battle with uh, another person, a circumstance, uh, something internal in us, we are not fighting a battle to win a victory. It is not dependent upon us to have that victory, to figure out a strategy and a technique to, uh, to overcome that thing. What we're doing is fighting from victory because God has already given us the freedom to move past those things. We go through them knowing that we will reach the other side. See, even in this story, What we have here is God having his people walk around the city. And we need to understand that they are not walking around this city to win the battle. We've already said that victory was already won. God said, I have given it to you. So why are they walking around the city? I think the march here is one of triumph. Very similar to what a Super Bowl champion might experience when they go back to their hometown and and they're celebrated as conquering heroes, they have a victory parade. I think this is Israel's victory parade. It's not the way they win the battle. It's the way that they celebrate God's provision. It's the way that they celebrate the victory that God says is already theirs. And so they walk through this enemy territory as more than conquerors in anticipation of finally seeing in the physical realm what they already know to be true. This is a march of triumph. What they did was trust the promise of God so deeply that they knew it had already happened, and so they just responded to that. They fought from victory. We have to ask ourselves, are we combining God's promises with faith? We know what he's told us. We know that he's promised us a rich and full life here. We know that he's promised us a place of eternal dwelling with him. Do we 
walk through this life in a victory march? Do we understand that we are being led always in triumphal procession by our Lord and Savior Jesus? That victory has already been won. We're taking a victory lap. That's what life in this world is. A second thing that faith sees is that God delights in defeating his enemies with foolishness. We're told in the New Testament that it's through the foolishness of preaching that God saves people. Nothing overly dramatic, nothing, no booming noises from heaven and voices and, and dramatic displays and, and God scaring people into believing in them. He just has people like me and you go around and tell the story. Seems kind of foolish on some level. It's almost like we think God needs a hype man. God needs someone to, to come up with a marketing campaign to make this story better. But God says the story's so good, you just need to tell it. You need to live it out and show people that it's true, but you just tell it. That seems foolish to the world. It seems even foolish to us sometimes, but that's the way that God defeats his enemies, through foolishness. When we read in Scripture that we're supposed to love our enemies and we start digging into that and what that looks like, we're told that if someone hits us, we should let them. If someone says uh, horrible things about us, we should say kind things to them. If they do bad things to us, we should return that with good deeds. That doesn't make any sense. That seems almost foolish. How are these people going to learn their lesson? How can we set the record straight? How do I get what I deserve if we don't teach these people how they should behave and do it in, in some kind of vengeful way? God says, "Nah, just be nice to them. It seems foolish to us, but God delights in defeating his enemies with foolishness. And here, uh, God destroys the city just by having Israel walk around it, taking their victory lap. And as I mentioned earlier, the tensions inside the city were probably uh, raised. They were on high alert. They didn't know what was happening. This looked ridiculous to them. If you've ever seen uh, the VeggieTales version of this story, you know, it's kind of comical uh, how this whole scene plays out. It's just a foolish scene to be a battle scene. But God delights in defeating his enemies with foolishness. See, the walls here are not brought down by understanding. People in Jericho didn't have to understand what the people of Israel were doing to experience the effects. The people of Israel didn't have to understand why they were walking around. They just had to do it. In our lives, we experience the same phenomenon, right? There are times where we're so preoccupied with understanding what God wants and what God's saying that we forget to actually just do it. We argue about whether or not we really have to turn the other cheek. And when we've turned the other cheek uh, and we're out of cheeks, can we then fight back, right? We, we want to get understand exactly what God means by that instead of just doing it. God isn't wanting us always to get why he said something. Sometimes he just wants us to do it. It's been my experience that my understanding grows as I do it. I, it can't be a purely academic pursuit. I can't just sit down with a Bible verse and, and look through 
tons of commentaries and read multiple books and talk with hundreds of people and, and come to a full understanding. It's typically in my obedience that I start to get it. Walls in our lives are not going to be brought down by our understanding. They're going to be brought down by our obedience. And then thirdly, faith sees that sin's destructive influence will one day be removed by God's judgment. God has told us that he is going to pronounce judgment on all the earth. There is going to be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning. And we're told that people who are in Christ will be saved from uh, from that wrath, but others will experience an isolation and a banishment from his presence. And it's described in horrible terms. But those people who are committed to sin and its destructive effects are going to be removed from those people who have trusted in God to lift them above that. One day that's going to be removed. For all of the details of of Joshua's conquest of Canaan, all of the death and destruction, one thing I think we should remember, that God does describe this as a judgment on the land of Canaan. These are descendants of Abraham, just like uh, the children of Israel, but these people that are inhabiting Canaan have turned to idols. They're turned to evil. They've turned to uh, making decisions based on their own appetites. And in doing so, they have abandoned the God who created them. And, And this march of Joshua through Canaan is a judgment on those folks, as well as a purification of the land for the people who have devoted themselves to God. God wanted to remove the sinfulness of the people of Canaan so that it would not influence Israel. Now, we know the end of the story. They didn't follow all of God's uh, commandments, and not all of the evil was driven out, and it plagued them uh, from now on. But we see in this story that God's plan is always to remove that sinfulness from the goodness of humanity and, and have that last for eternity. In the book of Revelation, we see a description of God removing all of the evil that contaminates his kingdom. Jesus tells parables about a time when God will separate the wheat from the chaff, when he will take what is good and what's bad and and, and separate them so that what's left is good. We don't need to get things mixed up. I think sometimes we uh, get eager for God to go ahead and do that, but we have to ask ourselves, are we really ready for that? If God came right now and set everything right, could we stand that judgment? First Peter tells us that in God waiting, he's actually showing mercy so that as many people as possible can come to a knowledge of truth, can come to salvation. We need to Take very seriously this idea of the judgment of God and that someday God will remove the effects of sin, the way that it destroys things, leaving only what is good. So we want to make sure that we are in Christ so that we don't experience that separation from God. You see, in our lives, as we look at this chapter and and look to make parallels. When we see the city of Jericho as uh, an analogy for uh, the battles, the struggles in our own lives, when we see these walls as the barriers that are in the way of us making progress toward where God wants us to be, 
we need to remember that Jericho stands only as long as we walk by sight. Those things that are in our way, those things that we think are keeping us from doing the will of God are only there if we're focused on them. If we're focused on God, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, we move past those things and through those things with the power of God, realizing that that battle has already been won. We're taking our victory lap as we march home to be with God for eternity. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.